Church, tonight we've got one other fun thing to celebrate. It's the Gilbride's 55th anniversary tonight. Give it up for the Gilbride's right here. Excellent saints. Incredible. Just an incredible group. 55 years. Well done. Good and faithful. Keep going, all right? You got 20 more in you. I, I can see it. So keep, keep running. Um, we are starting a new series tonight. So just a little... Um, just a little warning, some of these texts, we're going through the book of 1 Kings. Some of these texts are like PG-13 easily and sometimes rated R, okay? So, um, so you parents who bring your kids in here, that's great, will always be appropriate. I'm not ever gonna be looking for a shock factor, but the Bible is the Bible and sometimes it's wild, okay? So there you go. Tonight's kind of a PG-13-ish text. Uh, so I see people scurrying out right now. Uh, very good. Way to set your people up for failure right at the top. This is beautiful. Um, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Kings chapter 1. I'll uh, read the first 10 verses of 1 Kings chapter 1, and I'll give you the title tonight at the top just to get you set. The title is The Slippery Slope of Sex, Power, and Self-Promotion. This is going to be a fun one. <laughs> the Slippery Slope of sex, power, and self-promotion. First Kings chapter one, I'll read it, and then we'll pray. Hear the word of the Lord. It says, when King David was very old, he could not keep warm, ever say keep warm. He could not keep warm even when they put covers over him. So his attendants said to him, let us look for a young virgin to serve the king and take care of him. That's a strange thing to do with an old king who's cold. Let's find a young virgin who's beautiful so that she can take, so she can lie beside him so that our Lord the king may, what? Keep warm. See that twice there. Keep warm. Keep warm. When they searched throughout Israel for a beautiful young woman, and they found Abishag, a Shunammite woman, and brought her to the king, the woman was very beautiful. You see this here again. He's cold, he's cold. She's got to keep him warm, keep him warm. She's very young and beautiful, young and beautiful, a virgin, right? And she took care of the king and waited on him, but the king had no sexual relations with her, okay? So just kind of flag that in your mind. Now, Adonijah, whose mother was Haggith, put himself forward and said, I will be king. So he got chariots and horses ready with 50 men to run ahead of him. And his father had never rebuked him. So, so Adonijah is the son of David who is old on his bed and cold and he's getting ready to die. And it says right here, just in the parentheses, like flag this, his father had never rebuked him by asking, why do you behave as you do? He was also very handsome and was born next after Absalom. Adonijah conferred with Joab, son of Zariah, and with Abiathar, the priest, and they gave him their support. So he rallies, he gets 50 men, he goes to political leaders and religious leaders, and they give him their support. But Zadok, the priest, and Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, and Nathan, the prophet, Shimei, and Ray, and David's special guard did not join Adonijah. And Adonijah then sacrificed sheep, cattle, and fattened calves at the stone of Zeholeth near Enrogel, and he invited all his brothers, the king's sons. He invited all of his brothers, the king's sons, and all the royal officials of Judah, but he did not invite Nathan the prophet, or Benaiah, or the special guard, or his brother 
Solomon. This is the word of the Lord and all God's people said, dang. (laughs) Let's pray. As we were coming in tonight, I saw an old friend, someone I've known a good while, and he, we hadn't seen each other in a while, and we had a big bro hug. This is going somewhere. We hugged, and I said, how you been? And he told me about 20 days in jail. And I asked his permission. I said, I don't want you feeling uncomfortable. He goes, no, please share it. I want the Lord to use that story, and he's done. He said, the first three days in jail were terrible. I was anxious, and I was afraid, and it was terrible. But he said, Day four through 20, God got my attention. And as we were praying during worship, I had the sense that the Lord was saying that by the power of his spirit, he's gonna lock some of us up tonight for just a little bit to get our attention. He's not here to do damage. He's not here to shame. He's not here to do harm. He's not here to mess anyone up. He's here to heal. He's here to get our attention. He's here to restore. So we say, come, Holy Spirit. Would you welcome the Holy Spirit to speak to you tonight? Would you welcome God to say what he wants to say? Would you say, I'm open and I'm here and I'm willing and I'm opting in and I'm signing up? God, we're here. We we could be anywhere else tonight, but we want to hear from you. And so we say, Spirit of the living God, race through this place. Spirit of the living God, you have full access to our hearts. Spirit of the living God, search the light, take the search light and open us up and, and, and shine in the darkness and drive it out. Have your way, we pray. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, our strength and our redeemer. We pray tonight in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. amen. Tonight we're reading about the birth of a nation. We're taking a look at Israel's founding fathers, and sometimes it's important to know where these Old Testament books fit. Have you ever opened the Bible and you just go, that is strange. What is that doing in here? Why was that written? What's this even for? What was God trying to do? This is just strange. Well, uh, it's, it's important to know where these books fit. So the books of 1st and 2nd Samuel, which come right before 1st and 2nd Kings, we're looking at 1st Kings. But the two books leading up to 1st Kings, 1st and 2nd Samuel, they, they tell the story about Eli, the old man prophet, who was kind of falling asleep at the wheel, and his sons Hophni and Phinehas, who had, who had just absolutely ruined the temple of God and had temple prostitutes in there and they were just scoundrels and then it tells the story of this young boy Samuel the prophet and God raising up Samuel for the nation and as Samuel Samuel speak Lord your servant's listening and Samuel rises up he's been he's been grabbed by the life of the spirit of God and he goes around and he anoints the first king of Israel Saul and Saul falls really quickly And then God raises Samuel up and says, head on down to Jesse's house. And he goes to Jesse's house and there's young King David and he he anoints David with oil and you know the story from there. David rises up to lead the people of Israel and to unite the monarchy and to make them strong. Well, that's 1st and 2nd Samuel. 1st and 2nd Kings, David is an old, cold man who's about to die. He's on his deathbed. And we pick up the story there, and uh, second, first Kings starts in 962 BC, and it opens with the story of David, and then Solomon. And the questions that are sort of below this text, the subterranean kind of questions that are being asked is, can this kingdom be established, and can the story carry on beyond David's line? Like, David's about to die. Are we going to have a viable future beyond David's life? 
First and second Kings will narrate for us 375 years of Israel's history, okay? So we're picking up in 962 BC and it's gonna narrate the next 375 years to the destruction of Jerusalem and through the civil war that Israel went through. 375 years, our nation is 247 years old. That's 128 years longer. We're gonna read this story over the next 13, 14 weeks. So I wanna give you some context tonight. And the first and second Kings, it tells the stories of the kings of Israel and Judah. Israel and Judah. Israel and Judah. For the next 375 years, and we'll see the birth of a nation, and we'll see the progression of a nation, and what we're mostly going to find is a bunch of scoundrel kings who want to leverage the throne for their own good at the cost of the poor. And so, settle in for First Kings here tonight. What do we see in our opening story that I just read you? The first thing that I want you to see, I'll say it this way is that sex, which was meant to be a gift, can destroy your life if not stewarded properly. And some of you are like, Where, what are you talking about? We just read about an old king who's on his deathbed and he's cold. And they didn't have heating blankets back then. Like, what do you, sex, which is meant to be a gift, if not stewarded properly, can ruin your life? How did you get there, Daniel? Well, I'm glad you asked. 1 Kings 1 through 10, it says, when David was very old, he could not keep warm, even when they put covers over him. So his attendants said to him, let's look for that young virgin to serve the king and to take care of him, and she can lie beside him so that our Lord the king may keep warm. You see that, right? Twice. And then they searched, and beautiful young virgin, Abishag the Shunammite, and brought her to the king, but he did not have sexual relations with her, okay? So where are you getting this from? Sex, which was meant to be a gift, can destroy your life if not stewarded properly. In the ancient world, keeping warm was a euphemism for having a strong sexual desire. Let me just teach you from the ancient world for just a minute. Keeping warm, it said he, he was cold, he couldn't keep warm, he couldn't keep warm. Let's get someone to lie beside him, a beautiful young woman to see if he can stay warm. What, what they're saying, like do you really think that they couldn't find a way to keep David warm? David had an, a monster army. Let's get two big old boys with back hair and put them in the bed with David. <laughs> Let's get some big old boys, you know? How big old boy are you? Dad gone, put him in the bed with David. David would have been sweating. Do you think they couldn't keep the boy warm? No, that's not what's going on here. In the ancient world, keeping warm was a euphemism for he did not have a sexual drive anymore. His body had gone cold. He had no more virility. He had no more strength. And we understand this today because, you know, I I remember when I was a teenager and I went to someone's 50th anniversary. God bless you, 55 over here. But I went to their 50th anniversary and I was, was, you know, 16, 17 years old. And I went up to the man who had known my whole life and I said, congratulations. And he put his arm around his wife. He goes, baby, the fire's still burning. I mean, I just, 16, listen, I don't want to hear it, man. I don't want to hear it. I don't. 75, like, that's great. I'm glad. Don't talk to me about that. He was saying they continue to be warmed by their love. 
that there's strength, that there's vitality, that there's vigor, that there's joy, that, that my heart still beats for this woman, that I'm, I've got the, I'm, my, I, I, when, when she comes to mind, I just got, right? David was cold. David's body was breaking down. David was an old man. He's getting ready to die. And they bring in a virgin to see if they can warm him up. You see what I'm saying here? Which is an an absolutely shameful thing that that was a, a mode of being in the ancient world. It just was. And they bring her in and nope, he's cold. I want you to see that this is a, a, a story about sexuality here. We're gonna see some other things. But, but they wanted to see if David still had it. Did his blood race? Does he have vigor? Will he fight? And the beautiful woman, she was brought to him. She took care of the king and waited on him. But the king had no sexual relations with her because he couldn't. Verse five. Now, you see this? They check David out. Does he still have it? No, he doesn't. Now, Adonijah, his son, whose mother was Haggith. He put himself forward right there. He throws a coup because he knows his dad is going away and he knows that his dad in the ancient world, if you couldn't do it, if you couldn't get up, if you couldn't go, if, you did, if the fire wasn't still burning, you're not a man anymore. Get the heck out of here. The kingdom is mine. You see this? His son tries to throw a coup and put himself forward. He said, I will be the king. So he got the chariots and he went on ahead and he's here to try to take over from his, his father. In the ancient world, it was marked by sexual politics and power politics. Remember what happened when David killed Goliath? Do you know what the very first thing that happened was after David killed Goliath? Read the story. Saul, the king, gave David his firstborn daughter, Michal. Sexual politics. Because he wants David to be married to his daughter and to get in bed with his daughter so that when David gets ticked off at Saul, Michal goes, you can't kill my dad. You see this? He's leveraging his daughter, giving her away as a gift to a man that he hates, Saul hates David. He's afraid of David, but he uses his daughter as a tool to try to keep David at bay, to try to keep David from taking his life over. Do you see the sexual politics here at play and sexual power at play? Kings would marry their daughters off, and Saul immediately does that with his daughter. David's life was marked by sexual perversion and sexual politics and sexual domination. In 1 Samuel 25... David's eager willingness, you, you read the story, of his eager willingness to take Abigail. Now, Abigail is a hero, and she's pure, and she's strong, and she's a vigorous woman, and she's a hopeful woman, and she's a leader. David, it says in the text, though, in quotations, he was ready to take her from Nabal. He finally does this in 2 Samuel chapter 12. David takes Bathsheba, Uriah's wife, and, and he sends Uriah to the front lines to die in the war. Do you see sexual politics here at play? He says, I like Bathsheba. I'll, thank you very much. I'll take her and send Uriah off to die because he's leveraging a woman and leveraging his power to dominate and to take care of number one. 2 Samuel 13, the very next chapter, Amnon, the son of David, rapes his sister Tamar. You turn two other chapters back, and Absalom, the son of David, wants to steal the throne from David, and so he throws a coup. Absalom, before Adonijah, we're reading about Ad Adonijah, his older brother Absalom throws a coup, and what does he do? He races to his dad's palace, and he sets up a tent, and he 
rapes David's concubines. Now first, let's just ask, why does David have concubines? Have we read the 10 commandments? Have we read like be honorable and don't steal someone else's bride? Like David, what are, how far have we fallen? So I want to say to you tonight, this text, it is dark, it's heavy. I didn't want to preach this, frankly. I wanted to stand up here and say you're blessed and highly favored. Everything's gonna be fine and God's just happy and just everything's good and Christmas is coming and Santa Claus is nice and I just wanted, the Bible, like if you open up the sticky pages of the Bible, it's gonna make you say some hard things. And so as your pastor, just as Daniel, I would love to avoid this, but as your pastor, it's my responsibility to open the sticky pages of the text and to put them in front of you and I'll say to you tonight that when we sow perversion and domination, we reap perversion and domination kind of sexual perversion that was common in the ancient world. We ju- I just read you that whole list of stuff that was going on and we go, oh, bless their hearts. That's a superstitious people way back when. And thank God we're so enlightened and we've gotten over all that. Really? Have we gotten over all of that? If you sow perversion and domination, you will reap perversion and domination. Sexual perversion and sexual politics and sexual domination have become a part of our system too. Think about the six wives of Henry VIII, right? Some of you are like, that was a long time ago. Okay, John F. Kennedy and Marilyn Monroe. Right? Power politics. What do you have to do? If you want to be great, if you want to be strong, if you want people to talk about you, if you want donors to be intrigued by your aura, what do you do? You go find that beautiful blonde gal out there in in Hollywood and you make her yours and it's the open secret, right? This is happening in front of us right here in our own lifetime. Wilt Chamberlain, Lord have mercy. I mean, he, he told about... His escapades in Tiger Woods, it blew his life up and domination around his whole family and Brad Pitt, who would he be without wives and girlfriends? I, I, well, you can't even keep up, right? Some of you are like, I love Brad. That's fine, I do too, he's great. Assemblies of God boy, he needs to come back home to Jesus. He grew up in Springfield, Missouri, good old Assemblies of God. Repent, Brad. J-Lo's got more rings than Tom Brady. I mean, I'm sorry. Who would Leonardo DiCaprio be without a new girlfriend every month? Like, he has this, like, social genre around him that is, he's built a reputation on having whoever he wants, whenever he wants, playing by his own rules. And we look back at 1 Kings chapter 1 and we go, oh, bless their superstitious hearts. It's happening right in front of us every single day, all over the tabloids, and these people make really great money to run around. And what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to lose his soul? Brad Pitt would have been better off being that little AG boy tucked away in Springfield, Missouri, worshiping Jesus. He's got all the money in the world, and he doesn't have the thing that he truly needs. God bless you, Brad, if you're watching tonight. Friends, when you sow perversion, when you sow domination, when you sow instability, when you sow darkness, what do you plan on reaping? Friends, I'll say it this way positively. We are growing in maturity when we allow the Lord to cleanse and constrain our sexuality. We are growing in maturity 
when we allow the Lord to cleanse and to constrain. That is, constrain is a good word. We, we live in a world that says, live your truth and let me out of here. I want to write my own story and leave me alone. Don't tell me what to do. No, God says, I love you so much that I will constrain you. I will love you so much that I won't let you run off the cliff or I'll make it really hard for you to run off the cliff. If you want to, your will be done, but please don't do it. Please don't do it. God is standing in our way. Stay home, stay clean, stay faithful, stay simple, stay pure. It's not what you think it is. God loves us enough to cleanse and to constrain and to chasten our sexuality. And this text right here makes us ask big questions about how we view sex and how we view power and how, how we view the good life. And these guys ran around and did whatever they wanted. And you know what it did? As you read 1 Kings, all you see is chaos. How's it working out for you, David? How's it working out for you, Absalom? How's it working out for you, Adonijah? We'll read here in a few weeks. How's it working out for you, Solomon? Friends, today, we've got to sow purity. We've got to sow holiness. We've got to sow innocence. We've got to, we've got to give our lives to Jesus and let him cleanse and constrain our sexuality. Can you say amen? It got really quiet in this Baptist church. Second thing, moving right along. Second thing I want you to see is that a ruthless spirit of self-promotion won't take you where you think it'll take you. A ruthless spirit of self-promotion will not take you where you think it will take you. This story is a story of self-promotion. David is cold. The beautiful woman couldn't do it for him. David didn't have strength. And now Adonijah whose mother was Haggith, he put himself forward. He put himself forward. He put himself forward and said, I will be king. Welcome to the United States of America. We incentivize people to put themselves forward and to try to build their own little kingdoms and try to build their own little brands and try to tell their own story and make their names great friends. It will not take you where you think it will take you. A ruthless spirit of self-promotion, you think it's going to be a lever that you can pull and that it's gonna give you more opportunities, friends. What ends up happening is you get stuck in this crazy loop of, of, of madness. You get stuck in the crazy loop of, of pride. You get stuck in the crazy loop of trying to tell your own story to the world and carrying it forward. And friends, it won't take you where you think it will take you. This story introduces us to the dark realities of rivalry. Can you say rivalry? This story wants us to think about the dark side of rivalry. We see backroom brokering at the expense of another person. We see stealing someone else's peace. We see manipulating someone else's future. We see toying with someone else's shalom. We see people sowing seeds of discord. We see people manipulating someone else's reputation. And you see this with Adonijah right here. Adonijah, he got the chariots and horses and ready and 50 men to run ahead of him. And remember, his father didn't rebuke him. But it goes on in verse seven, Adonijah conferred with. You see the political machinations. You see the, you know, the outside of the Washington, C. Belt, Washington D.C. Beltway, they go to the nice hotel and they sit at the bar and they broker deals and we're gonna take this person out and we're gonna create this little lie over here that's gonna topple their image. This is what he's doing. 
He conferred with them and they gave him their support. But Zadok the priest, Benaiah son of Jehoiada, Nathan the prophet, they didn't join Adonijah. And then he invites all of his brothers. He's the king, the king's son, Adonijah. David's his dad. He invites all of his brothers, but he doesn't invite Solomon. Do you see the sedition here? Do you see the rivalry? Do you see manipulating family members? Do you see turning your back on someone? Do you see betrayal and stabbing them? Do you see him living for Solomon's destruction? Friends, ruthless self-promotion will never take you where you think it will take you. And God won't have it. God will not honor it. God will not bless it. In fact, scripture says God opposes the proud. You want God against you? Bow up in pride. You want God against you? Try to live your life tearing other people down. You want God against you? Live a life telling, telling lies about other people. Friends, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Adonijah tries to live in this world of ruthless self-promotion. And I'll just say tonight, do everything you can at every turn to ruthlessly root out rivalry. Come on, y'all. Do everything you can to ruthlessly root out rivalry. If someone else has to be miserable for you to be happy, everyone loses. If someone else has to lose for you to feel like you can win, everybody loses. If someone else has to lose sleep at night for you to be happy about it, like friends, rivalry will not take you where you think it will take you. Self-promotion will not pay the bills. Friends, it doesn't work. Absalom and Adonijah, these are two sons of David who tried to usurp authority and tried to steal the throne from their dad, David. But what are the details surrounding David's appointment as king? Think about this. Think about this. David is the old man, and he's, he, 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 had a, he had a heart after God. He was a man after God's own heart, and he was the shepherd boy out on the field early on, and he had purity of heart that pleased God. But you've heard the story of David falling away from that innocence, but now here he is as an old man, and Adonijah doesn't even have dignity enough to let his dad die in peace. Adonijah tries to usurp and to power up and to self-promote, but, but think about how did David get called? And I wanna read you this story in 1 Samuel 16. Jesse, David's dad, had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. Remember Samuel, the prophet, who's coming to anoint the king of Israel after Saul had fallen. God sends Samuel to Jesse's house and he says, go find the next king in Jesse's house. So Jesse had his seven sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? I know God told me to come to your house. I know that a king is in your lineage, but he's not here, I promise you. Do you have any other sons? He said, there's still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. He is, he's tending the sheep. David wasn't even worth bringing into the party because he's so small and he's so simple and he's kind of the backward shepherd out there and he's a decent hard worker, but he, you don't even invite him in for a meeting like this because he is not the king of Israel. 
And Samuel said, send for him, and we will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health, and he had a fine appearance and handsome features. And then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil that the Lord gave him, and he broke it over him and poured the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. David wasn't even in the room. But God knew where he was. (laughs) Jesse, you know he had the finest food out and he had all his boys bowed up and looking good and he made sure they went to the weight room before the prophet got there because he wanted wanted them yoked up and just swole when the prophet came in and he he puts them on the runway and they're out there peacocking and they're wearing their best stuff and and David's just out stinky with the sheep. (laughs) But God knew. Adonijah, he rises up to usurp his dad. Absalom, his older brother, rose up to try to usurp his dad. We are going to take the kingdom. We are going to be the king. We are going to make sure that we're going to ruthlessly. Ruthlessly self-promote. But David gets called in and David gets anointed. And I'll say to you that God is really good at keeping track of our development. (laughs) We are so worried that God is not on the case. We are so worried that God is not concerned with our trajectory. We are so worried that God doesn't have our best interest in mind. And so when we get afraid of that, what do you do? You have to tell your own story. And you have to self-promote. And you have to usurp. Friends, God has your best interest in mind. And he also knows the timing. And he knows that if he put you in it too soon, it would kill you. So God is patient enough to let you be developed in secret so that when it's your time, you'll be ready for the moment. Let God do his work. Proverbs 27, verse two, Solomon. Solomon, who's about to take over as king. Adonijah, his brother, is trying to steal the kingdom. Solomon, as an old man, reflects, and he says, let someone else praise you and not your own mouth, an outsider and not your own lips. Let someone else praise you and not your own mouth. I remember, I remember, I was, I think, 13, 14 years old, and I had a nice basketball game, and I had 30 points, and, and it, we, we beat this team, Sand Springs, Oklahoma, and I was so jacked up, 13 years old, and I came home, and I was just telling everyone, and I was like, Daddy, and he goes, He's like, Daniel, I'm trying to praise you, but you keep beating me to the punch. (laughs) And he said, Proverbs 22, 7, let another man's lips praise you and not your own. Be quiet. Let me talk about you. Let me brag you up. Let me tell the world how proud of you I am. Friends, God is saying the same thing to us. If you'll just wait for me, I will make sure. If you'll let me develop you in the secret place, I will make sure. If you'll just be patient enough, I will make sure. But you keep running out ahead of me. Let another man's lips praise you and not your own. Wait for God. Two truths that I hope you never forget from this text tonight. First thing is if God wants you there, he'll preserve a place for you. And if he doesn't, you don't want to be there. My God, you do not want to be there. If God wants you there, you'll be there. 
No one can stand in his way. No one can shut down his purposes. No one can usurp his throne. Adonijah has no power to, to keep God from getting the person that he wants on that throne. So God, if he wants you there, he will preserve a place for you. The second thing that I want you to see is that if you have to fight to get it, you'll have to fight to keep it. I promise you, you do not want to fight to get it. Because if you build it on that, you have to maintain it on that. If you steal something and you have to circle the wagons to get it up front, you have to live your life looking over your shoulder and you will be miserable and everyone in your ecosystem will be miserable, I promise you. If you have to fight to get it, you will have to fight to keep it. If God wants you there, he'll preserve a place for you and if he doesn't want you there, consider him to be the God who's protecting you from something. We have to stop deciding the outcomes in advance. We have to stop trying to think we know better than God. If you have to fight to get it, you'll have to fight to keep it. Psalm 75, six and seven, for promotion cometh neither from the east nor from the west nor from the south, but God is the judge and he putteth down one and he setteth up another. Promotion comes from the Lord. And if you will wait for him, if you will go slow, if you'll let God lock you up for certain seasons of your life, if you'll let God tuck you away in the fields with the stinky sheep when your brothers are getting gorged on steak and wine and they're dancing around and prancing around and peacocking around in front of the prophet, if you'll just be happy to do the work that God put in front of you when the day comes, you will not be missed. Promotion does not come from the east or the west or the south. Promotion comes from the Lord, and God putteth one down, and he raiseth up another. Friends, wait on God. If you have to fight to get it, you'll have to fight to keep it, and you and everyone else will be miserable. Let's turn toward Jesus as we close here. We've been in 1 Kings, which is just strange. But this man came in the middle of the story, and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell the story. This man, born of the virgin. The virgin who wasn't manipulated. Think about this. I'm just stumbling onto this. David had a virgin that they, the whole king's court manipulated to try to take care of David. Mary was one that God came and talked to her. And she said willingly, be it unto me according to your word. And Jesus is born. And Jesus rises up. And what does Jesus do with these three categories? We think about sex. We think about power. And we think about self-promotion. What does Jesus have to say about these three categories that have caused all of us in, in different moments in our lives to stumble? What does Jesus have to say? Let's talk about sex first. He never had it. The Son of God the happiest person in human history never had sex. Let's say it this way, the most joyful human in the history of the world never had sex, so maybe we should all just chill out with our sexual energy. <laughs> you see, I put the question marks there. I also had a smiley face that was supposed to be kind of like a cool little text to make you laugh, like, <laughs> no, but seriously. <laughs> Everyone just chill out. He was fine. Not only was he fine, he was flourishing. 
He was vibrant. He was invigorated. He was bouncing around the globe. He was healing the sick and raising the dead and blessing the poor and lifting up those from the dust and ash heap. And he was settling the, 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 the homeless in their own homes. Jesus was bouncing around the dusty roads of Palestine, bringing life, life, and life to the full everywhere he went. He never had sex, and he's the most joyful human in the history of humanity. And he ne- Let's, Can we just chill out and stop making something that was meant to be a gift? We, we're trying to turn it into a God we're trying to make something that's finite into something that's ultimate we're trying to make something that's a blessing and we're trying to turn it into an idol and it's destroying our society God have mercy on us when are we going to learn the devil doesn't have any new tricks the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes the pride of life he's been doing the same three things from the garden and he took Jesus out in the wilderness and he tried to put the lust of the flesh in front of him and Jesus said it is written and he tried to put the lust of the, the flesh and the lust of the eyes in front of him and he said it is written and he tried to put the pride of life in front of him and Jesus said it is written and Jesus shows us that we can live clean and faithful and pure friends Jesus shows us that purity is power. These folks were trying to use sex as a tool to be powerful and it destroyed the nation. Jesus shows us that purity is power. Friends, Jesus has a different way for us in a world that is just drunk on sexuality. What about power? Jesus knew who power was for. Jesus knew what power was meant to do. It was meant to be stewarded, not to make number one great, but to take care of all the people who have no power. The cross is the statement that Jesus thinks, even if it kills me, I will take the brunt of your violence and I will take the brunt of your usurpation and I will take the brunt of your jockeying for position. You can nail me to the tree and in so doing, he raises up the poor and the needy and the broken and the sinful. Jesus puts the world back together because he was willing not to use power against people, but to take power into his own body, to take the violence into his own body and repurpose that power for the healing of the world. Jesus uses power to get low and to lift people up out of their sins and say, where are your accusers? Go and sin no more. Jesus uses power to bless all those who need his strength. Friends, I'm here to tell you tonight, power used for your own good and self-promotion used for your own good, it will not take you where you think it will take you. But if you will let the spirit of Jesus fill you and if you'll let him teach you what power is for, you will live a joyful life and the people around you will say, praise God. What about self-promotion? Jesus promoted his father. I only do what I see my father doing. I only say what I hear my father saying. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Oh God, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. If, if God, here I am. He also promoted the cause of the lepers. He promoted the cause of the poor. 
He promoted the cause of the sinful. He promoted the cause of the outcast. He, he challenged the self-promoting religious leaders of his day. He challenged Rome and he called them to bow the knee. But everyone who was on the ground, Jesus didn't promote himself. He promoted the welfare of the entire human race. Jesus knows what to do about sexuality. Jesus knows what to do about power. Jesus knows that self-promotion will take you nowhere. But if you live in step with your father, you will be one that restores the world. Friends, I'm here tonight to say to you, we have to let the Lord cleanse and chasten our sexuality. And we have to let the Lord teach us humility, teach us to trust him, teach us to wait, because if we have to fight to get it, we'll have to fight to keep it. But let's just, let's just decide tonight that we're gonna wait on the Lord and trust that the Lord will open up the right door for us in the right time. Friends, tonight, it's a call to humility. It's a call to purity. It's a call to know our identity so that we can just let God make room for us in the world. Can you say amen tonight? Would you stand with me, church? Woo! Glad that's over. <laughs>